Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Don't you love hearing stories like Rachel's and Tim's? I, I love hearing how God is moving in people's lives in this church and through this church. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do over these coming weeks. And for those of you that I don't know, my name is Jeannie Stevens. Welcome to Soul City. Uh, we are in this series, as John said, that we are looking at what does it mean to be people that are ready for more. And I am excited to see how we are going to collectively ask God to speak to us as individuals, as, as people, how we're going to believe in what he tells us, and then we're going to commit to it. We're going to actually do it. And I am thrilled to see what God is going to do in each of our lives, because I, I can't tell you what God's going to tell you to do. Only you can listen and hear what God is going to tell you to do. But I'm, I'm just thrilled that you're here and thrilled that we get to walk through this together. But, you know, when I think about walking through something like this, and when I think about what God is up to in our church, I think about these many transformational moments where we are going to learn to let go. We're going to learn to let go of some things. And, you know, I don't know what you think when you hear the words, let go. Maybe you think of Frozen, right? That might be the first thing. Uh, those of you that have watched, you have little ones and you've watched Frozen like 1900 times, right? That might be the first thing uh, that you think about. You know, and, and when you think about letting go and you're in a setting like this, you're like, oh yeah, letting go, it's so good. Let go, let God, right? It, you know, and when you're in church, it's, it's easy to say things like, yeah, letting go is so good. But let's just be honest, because we're in church, right? Letting go is hard, isn't it? I mean, it's hard for me. When I come into church, you know, oftentimes for me, I'm like, yeah, God, I want to let go. You know, I think about that song that Patrick wrote, you know, and it's like, I'm not letting go. You are in control. Jesus, you are. Jesus, you are. I've been trying to get on the worship team for a long time. Nine years now. Um, but, you know, you, you can be here in church, you know, and you can sing like, I'm letting go, God. Jesus, you're in control. I trust you. You know, even raise your hands. Like, I am all about it. But how many of you, if you were to be really honest, the song that you are singing is, I'm not letting go. I am in control. Jeannie, you are. Jeannie, you are. Right? Because oftentimes that's more like how our lives look. And we like to believe and think like, yeah, totally, God, anything, anything you ask of me, I'll give it, I'll do it. But letting go is hard. How many of you struggle with letting go? I struggle with letting go. And, and, and it could be multiple different things, right? Maybe it's letting go of your things, or maybe it has to do with letting go of your plans. Maybe it has to do with letting go of relational desires, or, or letting go of your resources, your money, or, or your time. I, I don't know what it is for you, but letting go is hard. And, and we struggle with this. And you know, what's so amazing to me about letting go 
one of the primary areas where most of us tend to struggle when it comes to letting go is when we've been hurt by someone else. Many of us, we struggle to let go and instead trust God. Many of us, we cling to unforgiveness. We hold on to it with all that we've got. I mean, how many of you have ever been wronged by someone? Yeah, then you haven't driven in Chicago. If your hand is, I mean, a lot of people have wronged me just driving through this city, right? How many of you have been hurt by someone else? How many of you have not wanted to forgive someone and hold on to a grudge? Yeah, me too. I have been there. And when we choose to hold on, what ends up happening is we become hoarders, if you will, of our grudges. We, we hold on and we kind of like cling to this false power and control that we think we gain from withholding forgiveness. I think many of us, we fear that if we, we choose to forgive someone else or we just choose to forgive, that, that we will somehow justify whatever you know, injustice is that we experienced. I think many of us, we think that if we forgive and we forget, we fear that that other person will forget all that we then had to forgive. And I don't know about you, but whenever I've been hurt, oftentimes, you know, in that space between, you know, the, the hurt and then when I offer forgiveness or that exchange happens, oftentimes I have these imaginary conversations in my mind with the person that has hurt me. And these conversations are amazing. Um, they, the, lots of amazing amens, way more than I get here on a Sunday morning. Um, a lot of like, come on, preach it, girl. Yeah, you got it. Now say that and say this. And then somehow at the end of the conversation, they're like down on their knees. They're crying. They're begging for my forgiveness, right? Like I, ha I have these, I'm the only one? I'm the only one. Okay, good. Good. But sometimes we have these imaginary conversations of what we wish we would have said or, or could have said or, or what we want to say. And oftentimes when we carry around a grudge, what ends up happening is that grudge begins to prove its point in our lives because we are still the ones that are carrying it. And the longer you hold a grudge, the longer the grudge actually has a hold on you. You see, the longer you actually hold on to a grudge, you know what ends up happening? That grudge has a hold on you. You end up being the one that is suffering. You end up being the one that is locked up. And when unforgiveness has a hold on you, you will not have freedom in your life. And I don't know anyone that doesn't want more freedom in their life. Can I get an amen? We all want that, don't we? We want more freedom in our lives. But when it comes down to it, it really is a question of your willingness to forgive. And some of you are probably thinking, I thought this was a series like ready for more. What's the deal here? <laughs> How are we talking about unforgiveness? Like, I, I thought this was vision. Where are we going? What's next? I'm so excited. 
I fully believe that as a church, we will not be ready for more if we are holding on to unforgiveness in our lives. We won't be ready for more. You won't be ready for more of what God wants to do in your life if you are clinging to unforgiveness. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to I dive into an incredible story in the Old Testament, which is one of, in, in my um, judgment, one of the most powerful, ready-for-more moments in these two people's lives. And it includes a spiritual letting go that releases freedom in their lives. So I want you to grab your Bible. You're going to turn to Genesis 32. It's found on page 27. And as you are grabbing your Bible and as you are turning there, uh, I want to encourage you this next week to read the story of Jacob and Esau. It is an absolutely incredible, incredible story. I wish I had so much time to just teach the fullness of this story. And as I was studying this last week, I just thought, I am shocked that somebody has not turned this into a movie. It's an incredible, incredible story. And I wish I could go into all of it today. But what I want to do is I want to look at two turning point moments in these brothers' lives. But in order to do that, I want to tell you a little bit of backstory so you understand why this is such a significant turning point moment. So in case you didn't understand yet, Esau and Jacob are twin brothers, okay? Their parents are Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac didn't marry Rebekah until he was 40 years old, and then they struggled with infertility for 20 years. Eventually, Rebekah gets pregnant, but it was a really difficult pregnancy. And the Bible says that Rebekah described her pregnancy as a great battle within her. That literally these, these twin boys, uh, she felt like they were fighting within her. She describes it as a battle within. So when it came time to give birth to Esau and to Jacob, it says that Esau was born first and then his brother Jacob was born second. But as Jacob was born, he was grabbing at the heel, holding on to Esau's heel. Now, the parents decided, Rebecca and Isaac decided, that they were going to name the firstborn Esau, and the secondborn, they named him Jacob, because literally the name Jacob, the translation of it meant sneaky one and cheater. Can you imagine Isaac and Rebecca trying to introduce their son Jacob for a play date? This is our son Jacob. Yeah, just, you know, just ignore his name, right? He's a cheater. You know, he, he, he's a sneaky one, right? But that's literally what his name meant. Those of you that are named Jacob, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> the brothers were very different, okay? They were very different. Esau liked to hunt. Jacob liked to cook. And one time, actually, Esau was out hunting. He came back from hunting, and his brother Jacob had made this stew. And Esau was famished, and he said, I want some of that stew. Will you please give me some of that? And I understand Esau. I mean, when I am hangry, I will eat anything, right? And so, you know, he's like, give me that stew. And Jacob, you know, he decides in that moment, okay, I will give you this stew if you give me your birthright. So he tricks him. Esau is so hungry, 
and he makes an unwise decision. I have also made many unwise decisions when I'm hungry, um, and he sells him his birthright. Later on in their lives, when their father Isaac was about to pass away, Jacob conspired with his mother, Rebekah, and he was going to steal not just the birthright when he gave him his stew, but now he was going to steal the blessing that would be given to the firstborn son. So Jacob tricks his dad into believing that he is Esau and he gets the blessing from his father. Well, Esau is just furious about this, right? First, he's stolen the birthright. Second, he's stolen the blessing. And he is so angry with his brother Jacob. And so he literally wants to kill him. And so Jacob realizes, I need to run. I need to flee. And so Jacob runs. He goes to another land. And they spend many, many, many years apart. So what ends up happening is they're separated for decades. You know, they, they each married. They started families and lives. They experienced their own ups and downs. And many years go by, and they've never seen one another. So essentially, Esau and Jacob, they live estranged all these years, right? They, they live separated and almost brooding with resentment and anger after all of these years. And so Jacob eventually runs into some trouble with his father-in-law, and he decides, all right, that's it. I'm not going to live in hiding anymore. I'm going to go out on my own. And he figures, most likely, I am going to run into my brother Esau. Here I've been hiding all these years. I'm going to leave this land, and the odds are quite high that I am going to finally have to come face-to-face -face with my brother Esau. And so Jacob, you know, starts thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this happen? What if he's really still angry with me? What if he still wants to kill me? And so he decides to take a whole bunch of his livestock and his people, and he sends them ahead, kind of like this peace offering to Esau, kind of like trying to, you know, break the ice a little bit. It's been a lot of years. Here, take this sheep. Maybe this will help, right? You know, and so he sends all this livestock ahead, hoping that it will help. And so he sends this ahead. He's about to meet Esau after years of being separated. And the night before this happens, all of his earthly belongings are apart from him. He sends them ahead. And this is what happens the night before Esau and Jacob meet again. It says in Genesis 32, 34, so Jacob was left alone, and a man came and wrestled with him till daybreak. So pause right there. This is the first recording of WWE pay-per-view wrestling in the world, friends. It's here in Genesis, okay? All right, this is the second time I told this joke. Jared gave me this joke. He said, it will be hilarious, babe. You've, you've got to give this joke. I tried it the last time, it didn't work. I just tried it again, didn't work. Third time, not gonna try it. Okay, <laughs> Jacob was left alone. A man comes and wrestles with him till daybreak, verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless 
you bless me. The same thing. The same thing that Jacob stole from his brother Esau years earlier, he is still trying to get. He's still holding on. He's still trying to get a blessing. Verse 27, it says, The man then asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Remember? The deceiver, the cheater, the swindler, the liar. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. I'm giving you a new name. It's Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So what is going on? There's a wrestling match here in Genesis. Who is this mystery man that Jacob is wrestling with? Well, if you kept reading the story, which is why I want you to read it this week, you would know that Jacob eventually does the same thing that the man that he just wrestled with did for him. He does a renaming literally of the land where the wrestling match takes place. He just got this new name of Israel, and he decides, I'm going to rename this land, and I am going to call it Peniel, which means the face of God. So the man that Jacob wrestles with is God. Jacob literally wrestles with God, and he won't let go. He won't let go. It says that Jacob said, I will not let go unless you bless me. And Jacob, he knew how to hold on, didn't he? Think about how he came into the world grabbing at the heel of his brother Esau. This was a man that knew how to hold on. He spent years holding on, years holding on to what he most wanted out of his life, years holding on to unforgiveness. And it wasn't until God touched his hip and he literally walked the rest of his life with a limp that it said that the struggle with God and man was what led to the overcoming. He surrendered. He surrendered to God, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his days, but he was finally free. He was finally free, and as the sun came up from him literally spending the entire night wrestling, wrestling with God, look at what it says over in Genesis 33.1. It says, and Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with four hundred men. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? You've spent the night wrestling, I don't know, with God. You're probably tired, right? You're like, where's that old stew that Esau made me, right? You look up and there's your brother coming and there are 400 men around him. I mean, it's unimaginable what Jacob must have been thinking. 
He literally wrestles with God the whole night. He receives a whole new identity. He goes from Jacob, the cheater, to now Israel, which means one who struggled with God. But his brother Esau doesn't know any of this. And he looks up and there's Esau with the 400 men coming towards him, the brother that he cheated and stole from and deceived and ran from. And I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, God, I need another wrestling match. We're going to tag team this one and we're going to take down Esau, right? I mean, that's what I would be thinking. I'd be trying to figure out how can I have a redo of the, the same wrestling match, but bring my brother in this time, right? But look at what Genesis says. Genesis 33, 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob. And he embraced him. And he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. And I am telling you, I kept reading that verse over and over and over again this week. I literally was like drawing people into my office and I was like, I've got to read you this verse. You are not going to believe this. I know I have read this before, but listen to what happened. Esau ran to his brother. He embraced him. He kissed him. He threw his arms around him and they wept. We only know what was going on in Jacob's life all those years. We know about the wrestling that he had with God, but clearly God was at work in Esau's life too. And he was able to walk to his brother Jacob and offer an embrace, to offer love, to offer compassion. Look at what it says in verse 8. Esau asked, what's the deal with all the sheep? Like, what's the meaning of all these flocks and these herds that you sent? Is, is, this, is this like some kind of peace offering? And Jacob says, it's to find favor in your eyes. Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, no, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. This is why you should read your Bible. (laughs) For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. I read that line over and over and over again this week, just going, God, that's what forgiveness does. That's what forgiveness does. It literally ushers us into your presence, and Jacob is one to know. He was literally in the presence of God the night before, wrestling with the presence of God. And he sees his brother who he's been estranged with. He sees his brother who he wounded. He sees his brother who he cheated and he stole from. And he says, to see your face is like seeing the face of God, my brother. And they embrace and they weep. And they exchange forgiveness after all those years of unforgiveness. They experience it there in that moment. And what's so powerful to me about this story of Jacob and Esau 
is that they, they both knew what it was like to be chained up to their pain. They knew what it was like to, to, to not experience freedom. Because unforgiveness, it chains you to your pain. But forgiveness, it reframes your pain. And that's what happened in that moment with Jacob and Esau. All of that pain got reframed. And that's what we see in their relationship. And, you know, maybe you have been coming to church or you've been around the church, you know, and you've heard all kinds of stories and, and you've interacted with different Christians and you've heard people say, like, you know, when it comes to forgiveness, you just need to let go and let God. Or maybe you've heard things like, you know, don't hold on to vengeance because somewhere in the Bible it says vengeance belongs to the Lord and there's some kind of thus or thou or something like that in there. <laughs> or maybe you've heard like you just, you just need to forgive like 70 times 7, you know, like that's a big number. I'm not good at math, but it's a big number. So you just got to keep forgiving. And while there may be some truth woven into those sentiments, those some sometimes can feel so painful to hear because they, they often lack the raw reality that we live in a world where there is absolutely horrific and unspeakable pain that has happened to people. And I know some of that pain is even present here in this room right now. It's present in our overflow room. It's present with people that are watching online. And I want you to hear me. There is no part of me that wants to tell you to put a spiritual band-aid on your pain and just move along to let go and to let God. But your problem is you just, you just need a good old wrestling match with God and then it'll be okay. Because I know that some of the pain in this room literally needs the fine precision of Jesus, Jehovah Rapha the great healer. But what I want to invite you to look at for a moment is what unforgiveness is doing to your life. What happens when you hold on to unforgiveness? You see, unforgiveness chains you. It locks you up to your pain. And while you may not think that you are locked up in unforgiveness, I wonder if any of these symptoms might be true in your life. Because what I've come to find is that when it comes to unforgiveness, there's some similar symptoms that enter our lives. And when these symptoms are present when unforgiveness is here. We're always locked up. See, when unforgiveness is in your life, the symptoms are often similar. They show up in judgment. You judge every act the other person does. There's a, there's a greater than, less than. 
and you always seem to be the greater than. When unforgiveness is in your life, you end up being locked up to resentment. Maybe you just kind of give the silent treatment to the person, you shut down, you close up, you kind of pull back, you hold resentment. When unforgiveness is in your life, usually the symptom of gossip is there. You talk about the person, you say things that you would never say if they were there and in your presence. And and you even find yourself at times, you know, when you're talking about them, even saying things like, you know, this is just between you and me, right? You'd never share this with them, right? And you even hold your gossip secret with some anxiety. No, we're, we're just processing. We're just processing. We're not gossiping. One of the symptoms of unforgiveness is vengeance. You find yourself railing against the person with harsh words or with arguments or with name-calling or sarcasm or belittling. You still think of ways to get even with them, even if just in your mind. When unforgiveness is in your life, one of the symptoms is, is a hard heart. And you struggle to sincerely want good to come in their lives. You, you struggle to, to feel compassion or even mercy for them. When unforgiveness is in your life, usually slander is somewhere to be found. You really do believe your story about that person. That it's really true that that is what their character is. And every one of these symptoms does this. It leaves you in bondage. You're the one locked up. You're the one in chains. And when we wrap the chains of unforgiveness around ourselves, we become the prisoner. We become the prisoner. And what we have in a relationship with Jesus is the power to forgive. The very last words of Jesus were, Father, forgive them. They they don't even know. They don't even know what they've done. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't even know. And as those hands had nails driven through them, those hands put the key in your hand. That the power to forgive has been in you the whole time. That you can take it off. That that you get to actually replace all of the hurt and all of the wounds. You get to replace the judgment with love. You get to replace the resentment with peace. 
You get to replace the gossip with goodness. You get to replace the vengeance with mercy. You get to replace the hard-heartedness with gentleness. You get to replace the slander with kindness. And you get to walk out of bondage and actually experience freedom. Because what we come to understand about forgiveness is that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you all along. That's what forgiveness is. And some of you literally may be thinking, oh gosh, I, I really picked a bad Sunday to come to church today. Whoa, I, I really should have stayed home, should be watching from the live stream. I was like, ready for more, neon. There's like boxes to get in and arches to walk through. I thought this was like a, a series about where we're going and what we're doing and all that God has for us. And I wanna say to you today, you will never be ready. You will never be ready for more of God if there is unforgiveness in your life, ever. And we as a church, we won't be ready for more if there's unforgiveness here. Because unforgiveness always blocks vision and forgiveness is what frees vision. Unforgiveness, it blocks us from vision. But forgiveness, it frees us to more and more and more of what God has for us. And you know, I. I have been a Jesus follower. I have been a believer for many decades now. And I love Christians. Um, I am one. Um, and I, I love, I, I believe that we, those of us that follow Jesus, are some of the most sincere and kind and loving people. But one of the things that I have noticed about us friends is that when it comes to unforgiveness, when unforgiveness is on your doorstep, I often find there is not that much of a difference between a believer and an unbeliever. That the believer is just as capable of holding on of clinging to it. And their faith ends up just looking like a, like a drive-through spirituality instead of the very faith that our, our whole relationship with Jesus is built upon. The death and the resurrection of Jesus. The very forgiveness that we have received, we struggle to offer it. The very forgiveness that has saved our lives, we, we cling to it, we hold on to it, and we're unwilling to give it. And over the years, I have sat with so many different people that have been just chained up, literally chained up in unforgiveness. I've heard unthinkable stories of pain and of ache a woman found me after church last week and was on her way to the prayer hall and couldn't even get to the prayer hall. She just said, would you pray for me right now? Because I'm struggling to even forgive myself. 
I met with somebody this last week and there's been a a really painful breakdown in a relationship that they're in and they keep trying to get you know uh, an opportunity to sit with one another and to to try and forgive one another and I just said what if you could could actually experience forgiveness before you ever get into that room before you ever sit with them face to face what if you could walk through and experience the power that comes when we let the chains fall off and I know I have had my own moments where I myself have been in chains, where I have locked myself up. Moments where I have been gossiped about. Moments where I have been slandered. And painful, very painful things were said about me from people that I love. And I found myself when I was with those people not wanting to forgive. I know what it feels like to be chained up. And I know some of you, that's what it feels like for you today. You feel wrapped up in chains. And some of you have been wrestling with God for a long time, holding on to unforgiveness. And I simply want to say to you today, will you let it go? Will you let it go? And some of you are like, but do I like have to like, call the person right afterwards and send them an email and like say all is forgiven, all is forgotten. No. No, maybe the Lord might call you to do that. I just long for you to experience the forgiveness, the freedom that comes when you can be unlocked from what's holding you back. Because some of you are still in prison and I wonder today, would you be willing you be willing to come out because here's the thing the key is in your hand the key is in your hand you know every Sunday one of the things that we do at the end of the gathering is we invite you to go over to the prayer hall and it's a sacred holy space over there and what we want to do today is we want to do something a little bit different we want to bring the prayer hall in here and some of you have been holding on to unforgiveness and today we want to put the keys in your hand so that you can finally experience the freedom that Jesus offers so here's what I'm going to ask you to do I'm going to ask you to stand and some of you again are like oh man we got to start going on the live stream like I don't want to be one of those people I don't want to go forward I always avoid the prayer hall we want to turn this into a time of ministry and to be honest I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen right now and that's good that's good because that means the spirit wants to do something what I want to invite you to do is if there is any area of unforgiveness in your life where you have been locked up, I simply want to invite you to come forward. If you're in the balcony, up by the doors. If you're out in our overflow, there'll be people, I'm assuming, that can do this. 
And we want to place keys in your hand today. And we want you to have an exchange of forgiveness. And I'm not sure for you what it is that God is calling you to forgive. Maybe for you it's forgiving yourself. You've been holding on to something for so long. And Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to say, it is finished. For some of you, it's forgiving someone that hurt you. And you've been holding on to it for so long and you feel like you are in a prison. We just want to invite you to let go. For some of you, it's forgiving the church. It's forgiving a way that you've been hurt by the church, maybe even by this church. And it's somehow gotten in the way of your relationship with God. Some of you, it's forgiving someone that rejected you or abandoned you. But what we want to do is we want to pray for you and we want to put these keys in your hand and move into a time of ministry. And so if there is any area of your life right now where there is a block, there's some unforgiveness, I want to invite you to experience the gift of freedom that the Spirit wants to offer by coming forward and receiving prayer right now. So I want to pray for us, and then in a moment when I say amen, if that is you, our prayer team would love to pray for you today. And so Jesus, we do, we love you. And we thank you that you are the one that said, it is finished. It is finished. And so today we cling to that hope. We cling to that promise that in you, it is over. We can let go. There is full forgiveness in you, Jesus. And so I pray that you would turn this room, you, you would literally Keep it from being an auditorium, God, and this would just become a, a sacred, holy land, God, where, where your Holy Spirit does what only the Holy Spirit can do. I pray, God, that you would break chains in this place, that you would unlock locks, that, God, where there is areas of unforgiveness, that it would be no more, God, that you would bring about fresh freedom, that you would bring about fresh peace and love and goodness and mercy, God, that we would be people that walk in your spirit. And so, Lord, if there is anyone in this room here today, God, that knows they need to come forward and they need to experience the power of your freedom, Lord, I pray that they would do that now. And we trust you and we pray this in the name of Jesus and we all together said, amen.